Welcome to Movie Time Machine, where each week we pick a movie from the past and relive it in the present. This week's movie, True Romance, released in 1993, directed by Tony Scott, based on a screenplay by Quentin Tarantino. I'm your host, Chad, surrounded by our other Time Machine host, Chris, Jamie, Lee. All right. First, we're going to kick it off with a quick synopsis of True Romance. All right. In Detroit, a lonely pop culture geek marries a call girl, steals cocaine from her pimp, and tries to sell it in Hollywood. Meanwhile, the owners of the cocaine, the mob, track them down in an attempt to reclaim it. Clarence and Alabama were the best thing that ever happened to each other. I have something I gotta tell you. I've been a call girl for exactly four days and you're my third customer. But I think I love you. Everything else. We had a pimp? Who the hell is that bitch? She's with me. Was just fate. You don't know him. You don't know me. You know what we got here? Mother-loving Charlie Brown. Get back and put Alabama's seeds in it. They are my clothes. <laughs> they snatched my narcotics. I'm in big, big trouble. All right. So let's go through and some of our favorite scenes from the movie from beginning to end. Uh, first off, we're going to start in the movie theater diner scene. This is where we first are introduced to one of our main protagonists, Clarence Worley and his love for Elvis, Rockabilly, and many more. Yeah, I was trying to figure out like what that first scene was, yeah. was doing because it was it was like a really interesting first scene. He's just like trying to figure out like what the relationship is with, with the woman and like the first thing I thought of as they were going through like through the the scene it's like what a terrible first date <laughs> like right. there is so much space between them and yeah. it was like like just trying to figure out like man like what is happening here what's going on but his it's evident that he just it lacks introspection and like is so confident in like who he is and what he's about trying to take her to three three kung fu movies pretty great i just think this guy's a total nerd Right, he loves kung fu movies. He's into like some fucking old like music. And does he work at a comic book? shop? He works at a comic book shop. Yeah. Now, this movie is written by and for nerds. It is the ultimate nerd fantasy. Right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so this is where uh, later on, then Clarence leaves here, goes to the movie theater, and this is where we are introduced to Alabama, Whirly, um, where they come together in the Sunny Chiba Triple. Triple feature. Triple feature. So what was it? They're watching Street, Street Fighter. Fighter, Return of the Street Fighter, and yeah. Sister of the Street Fighter. Sounds about right. Sounds something like that. Which are reoccurring things. I feel like in in Tarantino movies and scripts are the the kung fu movies, especially Sonny Chiba movies, especially when we come back to uh, Kill Bill. Oh especially. yeah, Sonny yes. Chiba plays a very big role in those movies. But I digress. Um, Chris, billboard scene. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so the billboard scene, we've got both Clarence and Alabama outside, and this is towards the end of their date, and I really like this scene just because two big things happen. A, you get Alabama um, kind of professing that she, like, she didn't run into 
Clarence per chance or by happenstance, but that she is a hired call girl that uh, that Clarence's boss knew it was his birthday and hired her and told her where he where Clarence was going to be. Um, but then they continue to talk and they begin professing their love for one another. And the thing that always like sticks with me is just like how quickly these feelings for one another had formed in, in, in a lot of things. I don't generally like that. I really struggle that there's a lack of character development or that there's a lack of like building the relationship. However, I absolutely believe it in this movie because you have a person who, again, if we if we are working through the trope of this is an individual who probably doesn't get um, a lot of interest from women, again, just based on what we've learned from the diner scene um, and kind of some of the other scenes leading up to this. I absolutely think that he would fall head over heels for a beautiful woman who is paying any attention to him. And then knowing a little bit more about Alabama's situation, as as we learn that she has a pimp, that she um, she's been treated pretty well, but not all of the uh, other call girls around her have been. Like that's a pretty desperate situation, so she's probably looking to to get out. <laughs> and so this actually makes sense to me, and I I just I love the scene. I love the way that they do it, and they talk about um, talk about her sharing her her feelings and. Um, you know, am I being too forward here and those kind of things? I think it's a great scene. Yeah, I'd like to add just, uh, I didn't notice it, but right away, but the billboard behind them, it's uh, like a Jimmy, but it actually says, uh, don't wait for the dust to settle in the ad. Oh, oh yeah. So it, it fits. Yeah, absolutely. With the scene. Jamie, you have anything <clears throat> to add on that? Uh, not really. I I think you guys pretty much nailed it. I um, also appreciated. Um, I just I find myself now watching more TV shows than movies, and it wasn't always that way. And that's I that's just a matter of what's easily accessible on streaming. But I, Chris, like you were saying, I I do like the, um, you know, there's no pretense. We love each other. Let's go. All right, like let's go on this ride. I think that's kind of what I like most about that scene. And then Drexel's name actually comes up, and then Clarence is just, what's a Drexel? What's a Drexel? <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so is it right after this scene, I believe? This is where we get uh, the introduction of the mentor to Clarence in the bathroom. So it's like the, the Elvis character. Who plays the mentor, Chad? Val Kilmer. Val, Kilmer. Val Kilmer, right? Which I had a hard time finding out that I didn't have a hard time, but finding out who Val Kilmer was, I'm like, where the hell is he in this movie? But <laughs> <laughs> I watched. I did right, the same thing. <laughs> First time viewer, I did the same thing. I watched the whole movie. Like, wait a second, <laughs> right. did I miss him somewhere? <laughs> he was off filming the Doors. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny uh, before. Well, not funny, but before Clarence goes into the bathroom, uh, they're married. They're watching TV, just being bored, I guess, you know, on the first day of marriage. And they're just sitting on the couch. And he, you could just see he's just steaming about what's going on. He's just like, he's not even looking at the TV. Right. So he goes in the bathroom, and the mentor comes out and starts talking to him. And he's, uh, he's just 
getting the speech from quote unquote Elvis. And uh, Clarence is like, well, I don't know. I, you know, I can't do what you're asking me to do because I was telling him to put him down like a dog. Right. And he's like, you know, I don't think I'll get away with it. Well, the mentor goes on and says, getting away with it, that's the easy part. Killing is the hard part. And uh, this is basically the, they haven't even been together 24 hours at this point. So he's like, he is convinced himself to go and kill Drexel. So he gets himself dressed. He puts the gun in his sock. And uh, I noticed uh, he looks looks in the mirror and knows what he must do. I, I feel that he's basically made a decision to just go in there and whatever happens, happens. If he dies, he ends up dying for the woman that he married, you know. He wants her, first and foremost, out from under the thumb of Drexel. Uh, in this scene, I under, in this scene, I actually saw that for the first time after watching this movie dozens of times, I've probably seen this movie 25 times, I bet. <clears throat> Clarence puts on a field jacket. It's got a, it's an M65, and uh, he has a patch on there that did not appear in the diner scene, and it's a bloodshed, a bloodshed which I didn't know I had to look it up. It's a notice. It's a it's an actual uh, fabric notice carried by military personnel. And there's writing on it, and it's addressed to civilians who may come across an armed services member, such as a shot-down pilot in difficulties. This also, as well as identifying the force to which the bearer belongs as friendly, the notice displays a message requesting that the service member be rendered every assistance. Clarence has put on a bloodshed, an actual one, issued to the American volunteer group, the Flying Tigers. I don't know if he had a family member that was in this uh, Flying Tiger uh, Air Force group or Air Group. But he has this. You know, he may have bought it. You know, the story doesn't say. Uh, But the Chinese characters on it actually read, This foreign person has come to China to help in the war effort. Soldiers and civilians, one and all, should respect and protect him. I think that Clarence just, he knows that he's going into a dangerous situation. He knows he's he's probably going to have to battle with this, this Drexel, who basically thinks that he owns Alabama. Well, he's married to her now, so that's not going to fly in Clarence's position. So he also realizes he might not make it out alive. And I think he's got this bloodshed on there so that somebody, say if his dead body shows up somewhere, you know, the the gang's not going to know what this thing is, but somebody's going to know what this is and possibly track down who he is, you know, in case something happens. Well, at this point, Drexel doesn't under—he doesn't know where Alabama is. He has no idea. You know, he, you know, he's trying to find out through Clarence when they finally meet, where she is. You know, but that's a secret at this point. Yeah. So, yes, that's about it. I was just gonna say what I wonder too is which I put that in the movie. Was it? Did that come from the script, like Tarantino? Um, it's because he's very detail oriented in his films, and I I feel like I know him better than I know Tony Scott, so I'm not sure. But I also know that Tony Scott has that you know military eye, so it could go yeah. either way. I just I wonder you know who 
was the. You know, I I th- I feel that this came from uh, Quentin Tarantino's script. I do too. It seems like it would be something that he would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're I mean, making me think too. When you were talking about the the line that that Val Kilmer, Kilmer delivers about, um, you know, getting away with it is easy. The the killing part is hard. Yeah. Um, that was making me think of the scene with James Gandolfini where he talks about like the first time that you kill someone's the hardest. The second time is also pretty hard, but like it gets, easy. nah, it gets easier, know. right? Like, yeah. and it's, it's interesting like that, that, that is constantly coming up this idea of like this, the idea of taking humanity from somebody and the idea of like killing somebody and like how, how difficult it is. But then seeing, seeing how challenging, in in you know Clarence's mind it is, um, whereas in yeah. in James Gandolfini's character it's just another day at the office. Yeah, and he even mentions that he just does it to see their expressions change. Mm-hmm. You know, complete psychopath. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's interesting that this movie on its surface is like a is kind of a romp, you know, but then they, there is this big question about whether you should kill people like they do, Mm -hmm. you know, there, cause Gary Oldman's character is he's, you know, sociopath or, you know, he kills people and he enjoys it. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's just what he does too. Yeah. The scene with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. That, it took me a long, long time to realize that that was Gary Oldman as well. Like, I feel like they did such a great job with makeup. I feel like he did yeah. a great job with, like, his voice. Yeah. Um, in that, like, he, this is one of his better performances in my eyes. I just, I love him as this character. Drexel's he, badass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a terrifying character. Oh, yeah. And if I, I, I don't really like any kind of movies like this. There's not a lot of movies or action movies where like the bad guy or the villain like actually strikes terror in me, but Drexel is a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. And like, well, like when uh, Clarence gets to Drexel's hideout, I guess whatever you know the the lair when they're having the conversation and that whole pushing the lamp towards him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's you know, brilliant! It's constantly just you know egging him on, just trying to get him to mm-hmm. to flinch. I guess you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah, yeah. I think um, I was reading um, online that in the 2002 interview with American Film Institute, Gary Oldman was asked to name his favorite uh, role. He chose two: the first being Lee Harvey Oswald in JFK, and the second being Drexel. In true romance, he so he also just loved this character. Yeah, there was a couple things that I read. It was like, it was like top Gary Oldman characters, and like a couple I read it was like Drexel was number one, one of all of them. But for me, I'm not one that is like when I watch movies, like it's very rare for me to like to pull out actors, like actors and actresses, just kind of like blend in for me. I'm just more into the story, but like after watching this, I was like, holy shit. Like, I did not know that was Gary Oldman. I did not know that was Gary Oldman. You know, like, like Fifth Element and, uh, 
was it the Dracula movie and like oh, yeah, holy shit dreamt yeah. yeah Gary Oldman oh. is one of those like actors yeah. in my eyes who is like so like talented and skilled that he can play so many different roles and like you literally don't know until you look it up and you're just like god like that was so believable and like so good he is just I don't know right just for a long time he's always just been Commissioner Gordon to me but yeah <laughs> oh yeah sure oh yeah he was great at that too yeah, you yeah. know yeah. Uh, Sid and Nancy uh, story about the Sex Pistols. Yeah, that that's the first no time idea. I ever. That's the first I time I ever saw them. Yeah, Gary Oldman. Serious Black, Potterheads. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah. The new one, Darkest Hour. Yeah, yeah. I sure, you can't sure. even recognize them. Yeah, I think he got a Oscar nom for that too. I think he, I he think won. So. Yeah, yeah, he did, didn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. The movie got like Best Picture to nomination. I yep. don't think they won it, but uh, yeah, the nomination. Yeah, I going back to that that scene to the the confrontation between Drexel and Clarence. I I really just love the the writing in that that piece too uh, of them going back and forth and in Drexel's kind of conversation about like you know there there's titties on the TV and I know I'm right. not that beautiful. Breastuses. Like, yeah, or okay. breastuses on the TV <laughs> and I know I'm not that beautiful. But then like. I really, really like Clarence's response to all of that. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I know what this is. I've already seen it multiple times. And, like, there's the, the interplay in that scene is is perfect. Yeah, and there's there's tension that is a part of that scene the entire time. Yeah. And then the envelope when he hands it to Drexel. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in there. Right? <laughs> there's just nothing in there. I know part of me was That's thinking, like, up says, to the... He says what? Hey, Marty, I think we got a fucking Charlie Bronson. Yeah, we got a motherfucking Charlie Bronson (laughs) here. I love that line. I don't. The first time I watched this, as as I was going through, I was thinking this is almost conspiracy theorist, but I was thinking that Clarence is just fucking crazy, and these other people are just like made up in his head, like Elvis and even Alabama Whirly. Like I was thinking that they were like kind of like bringing him down this path to like. Murder Drexel, but then shit blows up after that, and it kind of blew that away. But yeah, oh, that's interesting. I don't think this takes place in the real world. This movie, no, <laughs> I, I don't. No. no, no, it's for me. It's um, it takes place in the Tarantino Saturday late night. Like this is a movie. I'm aware of it the entire yeah. time. Yeah, that's interesting. Though they, that was one of your thoughts too. Because yeah, I had the same thought. I was like, oh yes, this isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> well, like. It's clear that like Clarence has got a lot of issues. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The the fact that he is, you know, seeing Elvis and and again like the the idea that they they play with this how how easy it is and like to to kill someone. Um, and I recognize that he kind of pushes back at that, but at the end of the day, like he does what he feels he needs to do, and I don't think that is like that a sane person would do that. Um, so I think yeah, I think. There's there's something going on with him. Yeah, I kind of. Part of me was thinking too is like I feel like, like Clarence is just trying to live the American dream. You know, he just wants like kind of like he has like the rock and roll obsession, celebrity. You want like the whole thing like they you know, where they go to L. A. to sell the drugs, to make it big. He go, he wants to go. He orders like the biggest hamburger. Like all these things well, are just like he's flashy. Everything about him yeah. is flashy. Yeah. Like 
you like the the pink Cadillac that he drives as well, and he just like, fucking uh, peels out everywhere he goes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, he, like not only does he peel out, but then he also peels out in reverse and like stops traffic. Like, I'm like, you're gonna have to buy some new tires soon, man. You're not gonna be able to get away. Yeah, I I agree. I think I think he wants he wants life to be bigger than it is, and like he he watches these movies and he sees these movie stars yeah. and these comics and reads about these superheroes and he like that's what he that's what he wants his life to be and that's what he's he's connecting with and he's just trying to recreate that right so it makes you empathize with this character versus like um i know like when we talked about like natural born killers where there was like no like really redeeming qualities kind of like how these movies are kind of have similar like you know similar themes themes, but done differently right There's one other thing about Drexel's character when the Clarence and him are talking. Drexel asks him, "Well, what you know? What's the big deal about Alabama?" And he tells, you know, because he's being uh, bullying up to this point with uh, Clarence, and Clarence tells him, "Well, she's my wife." And it's like something clicked in Drexel, and he was begin. He started becoming conniving after that. He wasn't bullying anymore. It was a strange, I, I didn't notice this until I saw this the last time. And it's because uh, he goes, oh, I don't have any hold over Alabama. Because yeah, before he's like, well, because he goes, well, well, or your husband, we're practically related. Yeah. I don't have any <laughs> hold over Alabama. She can go whenever she wants. <laughs> but that wasn't going to be the case. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, but yeah, Drexel is something else. Yeah, that was a really good character. He died pretty good too. Yeah, <laughs> right yeah. in the dick. Right there, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I did, I did like to the idea of like they beat the shit out of him and then take his driver's license to be like, oh, like now we know where you are. The tables have turned. Yeah, which I think is you absolutely know. real. Like, I don't know, realistic in my mind. What do I know? I don't know any of this stuff, but like, it just feels real. Um, but then having that be the way that like the mob found them, yeah, um, yeah. I thought it was really cl- a clever way of doing that. Yeah, and but, it was in Marty's hand, right? Because <laughs> yeah. he was going out to go find the Alabama. Yeah. What I learned from this yeah. is that if you're going to go out and kill somebody, just leave your wallet at home. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> Don't need it. Or your cell phone. Yeah, no, no other people know where you are. <laughs> Right, so soon after this, um, after the confrontation with Drexel, murders Drexel, then he goes back to his dad's. And this is like part I, maybe you guys can help me with this, but so his dad is uh, an ex cop. Yes. Right? Yeah, I got a security detail. But he's a security detail. detail. No, is that his? He's an ex cop. He's an ex cop. He's a drunk. But he's like. Or was a drunk. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Right. And he's doing some kind of like security. Yes. Job, right? Now, is he, like, living in that dumpy trailer? Yes, or, I think that's so. That's where he's right. living. Yeah. Right. So it's just kind of this whole, again, like... And really, I think he just goes there... Like, Clarence is using his dad. He's only going there because he just wants to find out... Or he's like, I haven't not, seen you in, like, three years. Yeah, he you know? just wants yeah. to find out whether his dad can can figure find out... out what they know. Like, if, there's any, if there's any heat on him right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And there's... Yeah, obviously, there's a whole backstory on why they're not talking but yeah 
Yeah, it was a. Uh... He also goes back to you know see his dad for help because the reality of killing Drexel and the other guy is starting to hit him. I think, like bullshit. Right. I'm. What have I gotten into? Now? Yeah, exactly. Because you know I'm at the point of no return now. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting too to me. Um, again, going back to this idea of like how how easy or difficult it is to kill somebody like you look at at clifford who who plays clarence's dad like you look at at him and he's an ex-cop who's now doing a security detail his son just confides in him that he has just killed uh, a drug dealer and it then kind of goes to the next day cut scene goes to the next day and his dad's basically like, yeah, he doesn't seem like that good of a guy. I understand why you did that. And I'm like, where's the morality in right. anyone in this family? Like, you're supposed to be a, a police officer who uphold, upholds the law. Like, you're supposed you to know. be, like, the, the, the shining gem, if you will. And, like, for you to now be like, oh, like, you're my son. I understand why you did that. This guy didn't seem that great anyways. Like, no! Like, where's this coming from? I kind of, Well, I think Clarence is kind of a chip off the old block of his father. I think Clarence is probably, you know, they're almost the same person. Go ahead. I was, was going to say, uh, him being an ex-police officer, he may know, like, who Drexel is. Or if he doesn't, who Drexel runs with? Well, I don't think yeah. he did. But then when he <clears throat> but when I, he when, reached out to his like cop buddies, that's when he got yeah, more yeah. information about right. like yep. what like the the type of person Drexel was. Yep, and that's when uh, he started saying, "Well, now that I more mm-hmm. know more about this Drexel fucker, <laughs> you right. know, I think right. he did the right thing." <laughs> right. And uh, it's interesting that he still could like just bam just go ahead and talk to people and get the information that he wants you know and he's like some night watchman just living in a shitty right either makes me think that he's like well respected i think he probably was but he probably did something to get kicked off the force you know right well if he's a drunk i'm sure like maybe he was showing up late or whatever but again then that goes back to the idea like if you're a well-respected like police officer on the force like it's it's difficult for me to sparse out or to uh, separate these ideas of if you are a police officer who are supposed to uphold the law, yet you understand like oh like you're justifying these really bad behaviors just because you think that like no like if you're upholding the law it doesn't matter like doesn't matter whether <coughs> the other person who just committed the crime or the person who the crime was per- perpetrated against is good bad whatever at the end of the day like you're not doing your job um and it's difficult for me to sparse that for some reason well that's how that's kind of how it was back then sure you know it's just uh things happen and now in this day and age things have to change and they are changing you know it's uh Another quick thought I have on this is that so if his dad is like going and ask, asking his old cop buddies like, "Hey, did you hear about this Drexel fucker or whatever?" However, he's like getting this information, yeah. then like when his old cop buddies be like, "How the fuck? How, why are you asking? Like, how is he getting this information?" And like, he got shot yeah. in the dick, didn't you hear? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you know that? <laughs> we haven't yeah. got the body yet. The body's still warm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But oh, interesting. I digress. I don't think it's that important, but yeah, I, I see like your point, Chris. Yeah, oh, I mean, totally you do. Yeah, you know, and the morality of this situation, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of fucked. 
for yeah. sure on on both sides, you mm-hmm. know, Clarence and his dad. You know, I just think his dad might have, you know, who knows, maybe his dad actually to get kicked off the force did something amoral, you know. Yeah. You well, know. and like I just I feel like that like that is a theme that we see yeah. consistently throughout this of the idea of like how it's okay to take someone's life in order to uh, like basically the ends justify the means. Um, and again, like, I mean, we, we've already made a couple comments here with, with Clarence, with um, Clarence's dad, but I also even think like the FBI agents, when you think about that elevator scene and they're discussing, oh shit, like Clarence is going to kill him. They didn't do anything. They didn't move on that. And again, like they just look at it like as a casualty of, like a cost of doing business, if mm-hmm. you will, because we need to catch these guys. And again, like as people who are supposed to uphold the law, like their indifference to that and their like the fact that they don't do anything or, or they don't like you know, know storm the elevator or what have you. And I get like he yeah. stops the elevator; they're in between floors. You really can't do anything. But but there was there was no emotion. It, it was all indifference. And like I just feel like that is a constant constant theme throughout this movie this idea of like how easy it is for people to either be indifferent or justify the motives or justify killing or justify this behavior um because it it continues to propagate or push forward and ends if there's a moral compass at all in this movie and i don't think there is but if there was it'd be dick right i mean that's Dick Ritchie. Dick, or is that that That's Brad name, Pitt's Dick character, Ritchie. right? Or, no, no. You're th- oh, yeah, uh, his was his Floyd. His name was Floyd. 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 Yeah. I was thinking yeah, of Floyd. Floyd yeah. Yeah, yeah, because he just he tells people where they need to go, but he doesn't know why or what they're up right. to. He's just yeah. you know he just wants his bud and a little bit of television. He's just living his life. Yeah. Yeah, he just answers the question that was asked. Yeah, he doesn't you know? ask why. Right. There's no bias. Yeah. He's not trying to protect anybody. <laughs> yeah. He's saying what's up is up, what's down is down. Like <laughs> <laughs> knows when he's gone too far. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows that they're low on supplies at the house. I mean, just, yeah. just keeping track of inventory. Yeah. Uh, what is he watching though? Have you did you pay attention to what he was watching? I thought one time oh. I was like fucking monster trucks or something like that, but it was like Bigfoot. <laughs> That's the, one, what it was. the one movie was uh, <laughs> it was Rene Russo. It, it was uh, I can't remember what it is. Sorry, sorry. Apology I, I might actually. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it down, um, if anyone is actually listening to this, you can look it up at home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lee, did you have anything more that you want to chat about as far as Clarence's conversation with his dad in the trailer? I guess I could add real quick that Clarence's conversation with his dad, Clifford, uh, when he's trying to ask him for help and his dad's, they're both outside at this point. And, you know, he's, you know, basically, what the hell are you telling me, kid? You know, and uh, he's like, well, you know, he, he brings up that his dad wasn't a great dad. He was drunk, you know, and but he goes, you know, everybody else didn't want to be around you, but I, I stood by you. You know, I, I was there for you, you know, just this and that. And, uh, you know, no one else was, but I was. You know, can you just do this one favor for me? I did like that scene. Yeah. So I, I thought that was pretty powerful. It's just... 
you know, they're just trying to connect and it, I think it actually, they actually did, you know, and, uh, it was fortunate because of what happens the next day. Right. Yeah. So, right. So, which is one of the better scenes in the movie. That's the Sicilian scene. Yeah. That's just what I was going to right now is, is Uh, just after that. Oh, did you have more? No, that was it. Okay. I didn't want to steer the ship. You absolutely can. Yeah. Okay. But that's the next part, right? Yeah, I think right. so. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah actually, like, I think it's, like it's, it's yep. yep, they're gone, yep. and uh, yep. yep, next day the Sicilians come in after his shift. They're already there. Mm-hmm. So I thought so. this scene was really, really interesting. Um, I I just felt like the interplay between Christopher Walken's character um, and Dennis Hopper's character um, was was really, really good. Uh, I thought they both were on point. Like they both played their characters um, super well. According to uh, Dennis Hopper, the only two words uh, that were improvised in this entire scene was <laughs> eggplant and cantaloupe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, but I just think I think this scene is one of those scenes that is really really powerful because again you you were just talking about the connection that they that they made lee and i think this shows it where it would be very easy for clarence's dad to just give them up or you know tell him what they want to hear but he feels this loyalty to his son and i think one of the things that that i feel like this scene elicits emotionally for me is this idea of like they haven't seen their each other for three years they clearly have a very challenging and disruptive relationship however there's a loyalty here and a blind loyalty to his son regardless of what's going on um where he is just unwilling to give it up and give him up and and that connection that they created is is stronger more powerful than um than i would have imagined or thought it seems to be a theme too in this movie where it's like the people that Clarence is meet, you know, the interactions he's having with people, it seems he's winning them over now. Mm-hmm. Instead, before he was always just, you know, not doing anything. Because uh, even in the very first scene with the bar fly, he couldn't couldn't close mm-hmm. the deal on her. You know, she didn't want anything. You know, she didn't want to go to three Sunny Chiba movies. Mm-hmm. But now everybody's like, okay, I get your point. We're rooting for you. We're loyal uh-huh. to you. Yeah. So kind of started right with Alabama showing right. up. Yeah. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. I had a hard time with this scene. Um, but apparently this is one of Tarantino's favorite scenes. I think he said that he has written right at one time that he said he has written. Um, <clears throat> I just can't get over it. It's, Maybe I just hung up on this, but just I feel like Tarantino and a lot of his movies, he's just caught up on the N word so much, and it just kind of like it's kind of like not uncanny valley, but just kind of just pulls me, pulls out you of out this, of it, pulls you, yeah, pulls me out of it. <laughs> Is that too with like? I know love everyone loves Christopher Walken, but <laughs> he has the same voice. Like I just like it told me just like I could not make me believe that he was like a bad this badass character, you know? And 
God, I love him. I think he's funny, but I just is is doesn't matter who Christopher Walken is playing. It's the it, it's the same voice. It's like the same guy. It's the same character, but just with a different costume on. But just I don't know if you guys had any feelings on just the language of that scene or anything like. I feel like this is like in Tarantino scripts, like just his use of his flagrant use of the N word. I, I like guess what? it didn't really. I don't know. It doesn't bug me. Yeah. When it, yeah, because uh, I, it's just a like movie, I, and yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, like with Walker or Walken, he's become just a parody of himself, and I think this is due to this role. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because yeah. after this, it's like you know, kind of wrecked it for him. You know, because now when you go back to it, it's like, oh, this we've seen this a lot. You know, right then. But the whole, uh, you know, the whole using the N-word and this and that. I know Clarence, didn't he grow up in Detroit? And I think he grew up <laughs> yeah, I with, think so. uh, kind of in a rougher neighborhood. So right. maybe he's just That's used true. to it. Right. You know, and I personally don't use the word, you know. Right. It's kind of like, you know, seeing, it's not like seeing cigarette smoking, but. I don't smoke. I see it on screen. Yeah, sometimes I don't know if it's like it seems like it's not even just like. I don't know if I have that. I feel like language, the language in like any movie dialogue doesn't really get me. I just sometimes it just sometimes I feel like in his movies or his his screenplays it just seems so like out of place. I feel you know like I. I know what you're saying. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely do. Because hateful eight. has anybody seen I haven't that seen one? that. That's, okay. Or even Django. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. For, the, for sure, that one. Yeah. Well, in yeah. Beat for Beat, too, I mean, that was the first thing I thought. I think I'm like a mix of both, too. Like, this scene for me, I'm very aware of who Christopher Walken is at that moment and Dennis Hopper and just their history as actors. And you get them in the same room going back and forth. That's pretty fucking cool. Right. Like, I their exchanges. I immensely enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But just like you, Chad, that the language made me really uncomfortable. I was like, "Oh, could you talk yeah. about something right. I mean, else?" I get, and I get like how it's how it's written into that scene, like what he's trying to do. Yeah, I was just like, "Man, it could have been done better." But, but right, don't you think too? I think like one of the, the areas I'm struggling with right now with understanding um, some of the areas that you're you're struggling with is like I think of like that as being like quintessential Tarantino. I think, like, one of the things that people really appreciate about Tarantino and really, like, why they feel maybe a, a kinship or a, um, uh, you know, connected with is his use of language in films because it is very, very specific and it is very, like, he tries to make it be as colloquial to the area as possible and it, like, does tend to be a little bit more raw, does tend to be a little bit more... Um. Uh, I guess real, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, it's it's not as polished as others, and I think of that as like a very like quintessential thing for him as a screen like screenwriter. I think of that in every single one of his movies. When you think about like why you love his movies, or or for me personally, why I love his movies is that I think his his screenplays are really, really like raw. They are very very specific to the area and i think that means a lot to him mm-hmm. so for me that scene 
doesn't bother me, and I don't, I don't think that that language bothers me in his other movies either, just because I recognize what he's trying to, to put out there, and I think that is also what makes him a really great um, screenwriter, because I don't think a lot of people do that. So it is really unnerving, and it is really, like, maybe jarring to hear that, but I think, like, that means we're giving those words power. Yeah, it's, it's not like, necessarily... It just feel like with his screenplays it it feels out of place like it just seems like he's just throwing it in there to throw it in there like that story just did not make sense i feel well, like to, to to do that i feel like there yeah. maybe could have been a different way to do that I, I don't mind i don't mind language how it's used at all in like movies like i i just i mean that doesn't bother me i just feel like with him i i, I love i love tarantino just throw it out there like mm-hmm. i love um i mean all of his movies I love. There's something about just like his storytelling, but there's just something about that that's always kind of been there and bothered me. But what were you going to say, Lee? Well, I was going to say, I think the scene, you know, is uh, it's like an Italian trope. What he's doing is, uh, you know, because uh, watching The Sopranos when uh, Metal brings home the black boyfriend, Tony cannot get over that. Oh, that's right. He hates that kid, and it's there's no other reason because he's black. That's it. So, but I, I digress. But anyway, I think this is a trope, and the whole scene is Dennis Hopper's character, Clifford. He's using that word, and he's using that word because he knows that that is the absolute ultimate insult. There is no other insult that he could tell Vincent that would be worse, right? Than to call him that, right? Basically, not call him that, but say that he basically is. So, and he, I feel that he just, and I think we talked about this already that he's doing this just to avoid torture, right? Because exactly. he knows he'd probably crack, right. you know, and he he knows that he has to get these people riled up beyond belief right so they just kill him in which they do right the thing i do like about that though the tipping point of that conversation is when he asked for the cigarette yeah yeah and that's that's when he knew that yeah it was over yeah yeah that was uh pretty powerful but it's like this whole uh uh, Detroit air, you know, the whole Detroit part of the story is all under clouds. It's all gray. It's like, there's a lot of colors don't pop in any of the scenes. Right. I noticed that too. You know, first when real, I first started watching this, cause I was, just was streaming almost. it on crackle. And I thought I was like, well, maybe it's like the streaming service. Yeah. It's like free. So like, am I watching like a older version of it? Yeah. But then as I watched different versions of it and I was like, Oh, this is like the, the character of the movie. But once they get the California, yeah. everything yeah. is like bright, big lights, big city. Right. So yeah. And she, and her clothes are, you know, like, right. Her, it's her like, clothes are, you know, bright, bright and sunny. Dot, and just like everything, everything is, is like vibrant. Yeah. yeah. On the soundtrack, I have it has a particular artist that did the cover. It's like a special edition, and uh, it is on one side. It's the bright and sunny California people, and then on the other side, it's like dark Detroit people on the other oh, side. Oh, that's on the, the soundtrack. Yeah, that's, oh. on, that's on this particular oh, version awesome. of it. I should have brought it. Though. I love that. That's interesting. But uh, 
yeah even the like the inner ring is uh two color you know it's like dark and light hmm. yeah clarence is dark and then alabama side is bright that's cool. it's, it, it's pretty cool right anyway anybody else want to add to the sicilian scene got that one covered i think so all right so jamie yeah why don't you talk about the uh Tell me about the roller coaster scene. Oh, the roller coaster. That's my favorite <laughs> scene in the movie. So it initially when it starts out there, um in the bed in California, we've met Michael Rappaport. We've figured out that he is going to be um Clarence's connection to sell his giant suitcase of Coke. By the way, Tarantino's always got a suitcase of something that's driving the plot. <laughs> right, right. And <laughs> yeah. So the connection is that um, they got to meet Bronson Pinchot, the in-between guy who knows the other in-between guy, Mike Rappaport, to get to the producer who ultimately will buy the Coke. So where do they meet? They're watching TV, and Alabama says, you know, Clarence asks her, where should we meet, honey? Roller coaster. I was like, oh, that is dumb. <laughs> and then Q... <laughs> To the amusement park, and it was a great choice. After all, we get you know camera shots of them on the roller coaster, and it just it again it felt so out of place and random, but I I didn't hate it. I loved it. It was just yeah, and another artistic choice that, and I I can't think of many movies where I've seen you know close up shots of the actors on a roller coaster real time. So I I dug it. It was, it was a good choice. Originally was supposed to be a zoo. Oh, they made they made the right call. <laughs> yeah, much better. Yeah, Elliot's character just totally transforms too. Yeah, yeah, and then you get physical comedy out of it too. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just reading here, a fun fun little fact is uh, both uh, Bronson and Michael Rappaport like hated roller coasters. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. So maybe when he threw up, it was for real. For real, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up the roller coaster scene. Uh, next scene, Chris, I know you really want to talk about the Gandolfini scene. I just thought, like, when we were talking about more, like, challenging scenes t- yeah. to watch, for me, that was this. Like, that was a difficult scene to watch. James Gandolfini just kicking the shit out of Alabama. Um, but I thought it was a really, really powerful scene. Like, I I thought it was really, really cool. A couple things, I guess, that stand out for me um, was just, like, the heart that Alabama had the entire time. Like, I think about, like, yeah. towards the end of the scene where she is just, like, bloody and bruised. And he's like, is it under the bed? Like, he saw, like, right. just a little bit of yeah. it. <laughs> like, it was right. there the entire yep. time. And, like, yeah. I just thought, like, that was, like, such uh, such an incredible, like, thing to just, like, have it be, like, like that's how he finds it. It's just, like, oh, he accidentally sees it. And it's just, like, kind of, like, hidden in plain sight or hidden in, like, where you would think to look um, and just didn't. Um, I also, going back to the conversation earlier, I loved – his little monologue about uh, how difficult it is killing somebody the first time and how like he works through that and, and mm-hmm. how, how it is to um, how easier it is now. And you talked about 
um, Lee, how now he just does it to, to see like the expression, yeah. um, them lose their expression. But I just thought like there were, there were little gems in that scene that made it mm-hmm. all worthwhile. And the whole monologue takes place when she's basically on her back. I think that's when she's grabbing like the knife or something. Yeah, the, the corkscrew, corkscrew yeah. is like next to her. And, yeah. Uh, yeah she so as he goes down to get the the suitcase or whatever, yeah. Yep. Then she like scuttles, grabs it, pulls a cork off from it. Yeah. And he pulls then, his gun out. Yeah. Because she's like, then she's like down. Then he like yep. comes up and is like. He's like threatening her, right? Just do it, do it. Like he's thinking, like, well, she's yeah, gonna... he's like, oh, yeah, he just opens up, it rips open his shirt, and he goes, like, she all right, I'll give you one like chance to stab him in the yep, chest. I'll give right? you one chance, you know, all right? And just slams it in his fucking foot. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he played that so well. That entire, yeah. like, I mean, that is that is precursor Tony Soprano right there. Oh, like, yeah. That sure. is just his character in Tony Soprano through and through. You it, know, yeah, God, I gotta watch that. Yeah, then, you know, one thing, just one little nugget, though, I, I noticed, like, during that whole, like, fight scene, too, is, like, when she grabs, like, that bust and busts it over his head, mm-hmm. it's uh, Elvis. Oh, uh, yeah. Bust. It's a little nugget. Oh, there. Yeah, was, I saw it? on, like, yeah, this, the final. One thing about that scene, I think it's, like you were saying, uh, she has a lot of heart, and it is a transformative scene for her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's... She's basically been really compliant with men, you know. Obviously, she's a call girl, and she's been basically abused probably most of her life, you know, yeah. by men. So she she tries to play the cute, you know, the cute little call girl with him at first. Yeah. You know, tries to be charming, but it's not coming off very well, yeah. you know. And uh, But then when she realizes that she needs to fight, she actually really does. Yeah, as best as she can, mm-hmm. and she is able to overcome. But at you know towards the end of it, where she's shooting him, she just lo- unloads the gun and then starts just whacking away at his dead yeah. body with this. She with just this. like becomes like feral. Yeah, and just like it just it it was reminded me at a moment there I mean, of like, uh, like have you seen two thousand one, Space Odyssey? Mm-mm. It's like in the beginning. It's like. Because it's like kind of like the dawn of man or whatever, and it's like all Two like th- these two thousand, oh, two thousand one, two thousand one, yep, space yeah, yep. where it's like the cavemen or whatever, and like yep. out there's like then they start fighting and he's like just like bashing, yep. like the head in with like the club or whatever, and I was like, yeah, totally, like just like it. That's like, exactly what yeah. she was like, yeah, yeah, I and mean, it's interesting. Like everybody, I feel like all of the main characters in this movie, like has or will have like have killed like this somebody. progression of, yeah. yeah of like going through like trying to be like a good person and then like yeah like end up ending up like yeah doing something you they maybe think right. they wouldn't but yeah. it is interesting too because i don't feel like any of them i would feel like i don't feel like any of them really have like the innocence loss kind of a thing though that you see in a lot of movies like i don't i wouldn't say that Alabama is super like innocent or has her innocence or that um that Clarence would either I don't yeah I don't think they do it's there's just too much backstory you know just to get to where they're at yeah I feel like that generally you know it's not like they went to college and you know had good jobs (laughs) and you know it's like this is I mean she's a call girl for crying out loud you know not a whore a call girl (laughs) yes yeah 
There's a difference, you know. But yeah, she's something else. It's always kind of made but me think Clarence, of like people oh. that live like day to day and their vision of the future is just like super romanticized. Like there's no, it's not really grounded. Yeah. You know, it's like Clarence, like he says like, yeah, he goes into the comic shop at night and just like plays like music and reads comic books all night, you know, it's just yeah. like this kind of day to day thing. But um, before we move on, I just want some little like, uh, facts here just since we're talking about Patricia Arquette's scene again slapped around is that uh, Tony Scott actually slapped her on set he did so with permission and by the end of the shooting she was asking for the persuader in quotes <laughs> to be able to <laughs> act in key before. scenes I hadn't heard that I hadn't heard that then a quick note on uh, Gandolfini to get into his character apparently he sat he like he never changes underwear to get into his character. Wow. Yeah. I do that now. That's so an awful that no. acting. No, just awful. No, just for <laughs> personal poor, hygiene. For personal hygiene. Do you have anything you want else you wanted to add to that? No. Team Chris I just, pretty much covered it. Yeah, I just think there there's some really great gems in that scene. All right, so kind of cruising towards the end of your um, elevator hotel scene. So we get we get them all meeting up. They're in the hotel. So they're bringing up the the suitcase of coke to get the cash. And there's like the showdown. He puts the gun to uh, what's the character's name again? Elliot. Yeah, Elliot's yeah. head, right? And he's don't. Can you help me clarify that scene? Like when he finally like stopped putting the gun to his head. Like what was he crying out like? I thought he was like at the first time I watched it that he was like saying that no no like you got me or I, he's saying I I wish that somebody would come and help come and help me and please rescue me and so like he's he was just, like calling out to like but the, he he the, wasn't using any names but it was almost like he was one word away from using like the right the police officers yeah, names right. exactly <laughs> it's like Clarence was like thinking that he was like calling out to God yes. And, yeah. And really, he was calling, calling out, out to, to the, the, the police officers, who yeah. again right. were completely <laughs> indifferent. Right. So they're just like Tom Sizemore's character is just like, he's gonna shoot them. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Guess we're gonna have to try, you know, Plan B or something. I don't know. Yeah. So from here, we get up to the floor. They're doing like the the exchange, and we end up with the. Uh, the classic Tarantino. Was it the? We're gonna go with the Mexican. Mexican. Mexican, stand Mexican standoff. I believe it's called the Mexican, Mexican standoff, standoff. Right. So I'm have, not like, sure the, why, but the three, three separate groups that all of a sudden come in and like are all holding guns and. Yeah. Do you have anything you you have wanted to add to that, Lee? Uh, I was just gonna, just quick mention that Lee, the Lee Donovitz, I think his name is Donovitz. Yeah. Uh the the producer, he's got two bodyguards and uh they they got like MP5s or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's right. like something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And uh when the cops show up, all of a sudden it's uh oh, Lee, by the way, I should tell you, I hate cops. I just love that line. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh great. <laughs> Lee's probably like, "Oh, what the what the hell?" Yeah, those bodyguards, I thought uh, the one 
with like the the blonde hair was yeah. super funny. Just given right <laughs> so much. He's all, he's all shot up. <laughs> I need a doctor. Right. <laughs> I need an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> Then like the one cop or whatever <laughs> just shoots him. About uh, and then he gets shot by Alabama. Yeah, who makes that out? Yeah, I don't know how, but <laughs> yeah, both her and Clarence get out. They do, yeah, alive, yeah. which is yeah. crazy to me. And I feel like like it, there are so few movies where you see like the bad people, like in they're not like bad in comparison to what other movies have, but they're they're certainly not like winners or, or good people yeah. um, but like the fact that they get away and I mean we talked a little bit about this in Natural Born Killers it's so unique I feel like where you see like those those kind of things happening um, and I think Lee you were making it's generally the same morality yeah you know it's that gray area yeah and what were you gonna say oh, I was gonna Sorry. say and I think you were making note too of like the the scene ends then with them on the beach and um, with with their you know supposed kid and you made mention of when we were talking about natural born killers how same thing like at the end they were talking about having kids and what that was going to look like and what their life was going to look like i wonder if this wasn't a play on the the era that these movies were made in yeah because of like the culture in the early 90s it seems to me that like the music was totally different than it was in the 80s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know you had more uh, alternative music yeah. and you know things like that things things were they were uh, going like not they were going in a non-trope way so i think this was kind of that yeah you know where if you saw this movie in the 80s they wouldn't had a ending like this mm-hmm. you know would you call this a happy ending yeah do you think that's what I, people were hoping for? You see this in the theater. That's when everyone cheers. They get yeah. away. Do you think people are these characters likable enough? Likable enough that you want to see them? I think these characters were, in my opinion, were completely likable all the way to the end. Unlike Natural Born Killers, mm-hmm. you know that was more of a that was a struggle, right? Yeah. But. You almost see the these two characters even at the end. You know they just basically walk out, but no one even you know gave them two cents or no one even the cops didn't look at them because they had they were being distracted by the actual killers. Right. Tra- you know, like holding people hostage. Yeah. I, was, and, I struggled with you know, that stuff part. Like I, that. I, don't, I don't. I don't like how they got away. It, but they yeah. peel out too when they left. The- <laughs> Yeah, smoke. <laughs> yeah, like I thought I thought that was yeah. a little bit uh yeah. unrealistic that nobody bats an eyelash at this guy that's being like helped by a woman, like yeah. bloodied up. But, but maybe that's just like uh I don't know. They how could you say it? They're uh they're just basically invisible the whole time. Yeah. You know, where their lives were just invisible, they're not really, you know, yeah. being but you I know, do appreciate. I do it, think I that adds additional feel to the fire for the idea of like, is this all in Clarence's head, and is this all make believe, right? Like, yeah. things. Well, not everything goes his way. Yeah. But I think that also adds to like yeah. the adventure of it, which you could argue like he would create. But at the end of the day, like he still leaves with his life. Like there, there are like little minute things that I think of like as being like very like, like, driven by by stories. 
Um, it makes me think of like when you watch Boondock Saints and uh, the the line that like bad like bad TV is for this or bad movies are for this for they they drop from the ceiling and they spin like it's similar where like I think that he has a lot of things that have influenced him from like bad like kung fu movies and like mm-hmm. action adventure movies where like things like that where like they just get up and leave and nobody notices because they're yeah too distracted i think it it adds a lot of fuel for the fire this it it, it almost reminds me of uh well like a pulp fiction type movie i mean in a way mm-hmm. you know where quentin tarantino has like developed this sense of writing that he has in most of his movies, they seem to have reality isn't reality. He doesn't make a, like a straight up reality right. type movie. Right. You know, you know, I mean, we talk about this, like it's Quentin Tarantino's movie, even though Tony Scott directed it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that, cause I think Tony Scott was really adhering to what Quentin Tarantino wanted. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy to think about back then. Yeah. I thought, but I thought one thing that was different though, I thought, Tarantino screenplay was written in his normal like chapter style and wasn't as linear. And I think Tony Scott, when he did the movie, made it a linear story. Oh, okay. I thought, but I okay. think that's I, yep, really I the only. That. But this was uh, Tarantino's first full screenplay. Yeah. Oh, okay. As well. Yeah. Nice. So. Yeah, he did a pretty good job. I. Oh, you know who else made it out? Dick Ritchie made it out. He yeah, made it I out like of there. Dick I, I wanted him. <laughs> I actually wanted him to get out alive, yeah. and he did. Yeah. You know, there's the scene where they're at um, Dick Ritchie's apartment, and they're about to leave. Mm-hmm. And he has that. He, he just gets the call. Oh, he yeah. gets the part. Yeah. And he's like, uh, hey, Clarence. And he's like, what? He's like, ah. Oh. Like he was gonna tell him something. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that that, that caught my eye too. And yeah. I was, I suppose he was gonna tell him about the part. Well, he he says he, he says he got the part. Yeah. Then like they're getting ready to leave. Then he has that moment where he's like, this one's like, hey, like I was about to say like, hey, like I love you, man, or something like that was gonna yeah. like something was gonna come from him. But I just didn't know if you guys had read anything to that at all or. I, I I caught no. that, but yeah. I yeah I was I wasn't really I, I but for could me not that, figure out what he was yeah. going to tell him or wanted to. I just made me think, man, Dick Ritchie, you're a good kid. You mean well? <laughs> yeah, he didn't kill anybody either. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. Oh man. Well, then Brad Pitt's character Floyd didn't either. No, no. But he, uh, hopefully, he's still alive. He aided in some deaths by giving great directions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> so he's an accomplice. Right. <laughs> Forgot yeah. about that. So I mean, you almost got it though. Jamie's not here to de- defend himself, but there goes that moral compass theory. <laughs> right. right exactly. He aided in the exactly. death of his yep. friends and <laughs> yeah. right. Um, there was right. one of the. One of the gangsters. I couldn't. I couldn't place him. He was the young kid. Yeah, he's, he looked familiar to me, but yeah, I must have seen some, him when he was older. Oh my god! You what know? was he just in? Was he in a TV show with? Uh, he he's played like in, the brother. Isn't he the brother in? Um, this is gonna come full circle. This is for you, Chris. Isn't he the brother in um, the Departed? 
Um, the uh, DiCaprio's brother. I think he isn't. He? I think he is. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Oh, that's so great. Right, you love that? I know that you love the Depot. Depot. <laughs> <laughs> but that just proves that I've watched that movie. No, yeah. enough good. to remember who that yeah. guy is. <laughs> but I think that was him. Like a very, he was like pretty oh. young. But. Yeah, I think he was in uh, uh, Goodfellas. I think he played uh, Henry's brother in Goodfellas. Yeah, the yeah. one that had the yes. stir, the you know the sauce right. on the yeah, holy got shit. Busted. Yeah, yep, you're right. Then he was in a TV show, but there's two actors. I don't know who they are. I can't remember now. But it was like a husband and a wife. You know, Kevin they had Corrigan. Uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. Let's just go over some like final impressions for the movie, and we'll we'll bring this one home and close her out so uh so lee this is your well jamie's not here but this is my first time watching my, the movie you guys second time so is this bit was this any different from like the last time you watched it or the first time you watched it so i know that you said you had caught some different things so let's just do yeah. some quick well overall uh yeah this movie was about the same but it just you know more detail came out this time around uh, the overall feel is the same. It's uh, it's not a movie that I uh, didn't. You know, I got the the gist of it the first time. As a you know, it, it was nothing new in the plot came out. Right. Nothing new in the you know overall message came out this Define time some around. So smaller details. Yeah, and, just yeah. small little details. They came out. You know, a like little the bit patch on the and, code and yeah, yeah, that was actually a pretty cool nugget there. I yeah. I really was. I was it was cool when I found that out. I was like, "Whoa, this is a little more than I expected," you know. Not seeing that, yeah. Not realizing that that was actually on there, so that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, just uh, seeing some of the interactions between the characters that was pretty cool. Overall, I think it held it holds up. You know, maybe uh, you know maybe the morality of it wouldn't work like if it was made now. You know, I don't know yeah. how that would work. You know, I, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand how the, you know, like the Columbine thing, you know, the Columbine uh, shootings and things, you know, school shootings and things like this, how that has affected kind of pop culture and how that's being, you know, witnessed too. I think because we didn't have anything like that going on and we had a lot of violent right. movies back then too. Yeah. Truth. So that's kind of, that's a point I never really thought of until recently, really, when we started doing this. Just, you like, know. the level of types of violence in movies? Yeah, I think, like, I think the types of violence, yeah. maybe the, the moral part of it. Right. You know, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, you still have, I guess, movies like Saw and things like that that have, that have come out in right. the last 20 years. But. but maybe, like, the type of reality that it's set in? Yeah, you know, like, it's a, it's more fantasy yeah, than anything. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh as a as a morality tale, it's almost like uh the lesser of the evil people win. You know. Right. And I think maybe if you're it's like twenty plain. in your twenties and things like that, maybe you're I don't know. You know, it's maybe you got a different outlook on how things in the world work. You know, but now when I now that I'm older, it's you know, you like a little more uh, 
little more order, I guess. Right. A little more morality because you can see the effects of, you know, these things a little better. Right. So, I don't know, it's kind of... I guess I did take take a little bit more from this movie than I thought I did, you know, mm-hmm. this time around. So, But I still enjoyed it. It's still a really good ride. Right. And uh, really good acting. I think the acting is phenomenal in this on so many levels. And, you know, just Quentin Tarantino's writing is awesome. And the directing is really good. Tony Scott has a really kinetic style where it's just a lot of fast cuts sometimes, but he he knows when to tone it down and just let you look at the characters too, mm-hmm. which some directors don't. But um, yeah, great movie, great actors, great cast, um, pretty flawless. Uh, just kind of one thing that kind of stuck out to me. I didn't talk about this earlier, but a line in the movie where Alabama really is at, at talking about Clarence saying that Clarence always says that's the way it goes, but every once in a while it goes the other way too. And like that, that's like, that's essentially, I feel like that's the whole plot of the story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, like that, yeah. that the last time I watched it, I was like, Oh, that's like where it kind of clicked for me. And for this yeah. movie. So. What about you, Chris? Yeah. Kind of final thoughts. I just, I agree. I think the cast, like if you run down the IMDb and you look at all the different people that are in this movie, the cast is just phenomenal. Um, and I think it is really well acted. Um, again, I go back to the Dennis Hopper um, scene and I just think his his interplay with Walken in that, that whole scene, again, it's just it's a delight to see two incredibly talented actors together and like see see them um, doing a scene that is really serious really well. Um, this may sound strange. Like I, I recognize that some of the, the content in, in this movie is serious, but like, I just think this is a fun movie. Like, it's just, it's fun. Like it, it is, it doesn't always take itself too seriously. There is some like real, um, some real heavy scenes, but, I just I think that it, it's a fun movie. They do a great job with it. It to me, it's one of the the more memorable um, memorable movies from like seeing it as a youth. I remember watching this for the first time. I think when I was like sixteen or seventeen, and just thinking how good it was. And um, I think that was like the first thing that kind of got me into Tarantino too. I had a friend mm-hmm. that loved this movie. Um, I hadn't really seen much Tarantino at that point. And so it's just, yeah, I think it's a, a really, really well done movie. I think maybe we, at some point we just need to do like a favorite Tarantino or just do a Tarantino podcast, <laughs> yeah. of a special episode just on Tarantino because there's some themes there. So, um, yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. And that concludes episode two of Movie Time Machine. Look into True Romance. If you have any likes or gripes, please drop us a message on Twitter at Movie Machine Pod. That's at Movie Machine Pod. Thank you and good night.